Hopefully you are ready. Let's get ready to jump in. Open your Bibles now, man, to the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. And uh, you can open up your Bibles there or turn them on, whatever, you know, floats your boat, okay? And uh, we'll be there in just a few moments. But there is nothing more awkward, okay, than to come up in the middle of a conversation and you have no idea what's going on, all right? And so for the sake of continuity, because we're all family, we don't want to leave anybody behind, let me tell you where we have been this semester. This entire spring semester, we've been studying the book of Jonah. Say, Jonah. Yes, indeed. Y'all are great. And we're just taking a slow walk, man, through the book of Jonah, allowing, man, God to, to speak to us. Jonah, contrary to what you may believe, it is not about a well. No, it is not. Jonah is not about Jonah. It isn't. I mean, kind of, but not really. The person that it is about the most, man, in the book of Jonah, any guesses? Who is it? It's God. In case you don't know, just be like, if you just want to guess, just say God or Jesus. And they, you'll, you'll win here, okay? But Jonah is about God, a God who pursues rebels. Can I ask you a question? Uh, I'm going to ask it to you anyway, even if you say no, okay? But let me ask you this question. How, how many would say at some point in time in your life, you have rebelled, you have run away from God at some point in time? on a heart level, okay? If your hands light up, you are lying, okay? All right? We all have, starting with this guy first, and uh, it encourages me, man, as I've been walking through the book of Jonah, you see again and again and again how God pursues rebels with his love. Jonah actually says in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, we haven't got there yet, but uh, he, this is just, a, this is just a, a, a sneak peek of what's to come. He said, this is a God who is merciful and compassionate, slow to become angry. I'm grateful for that, let me tell you rich in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. If anyone is grateful for God like that, please shout amen in the house. Amen. I said shout amen in the house. There we go. There we go. So as we then look at the book of Jonah, listen, we want to keep our eye out for God. You can pay attention to Jonah, yes. Pay attention to some of the characters, but mainly Keep your eye on God, because if you keep your eye on anything else, you'll leave here pretty discouraged, pretty, pretty depressed. So let's review where we've been briefly. God tells Jonah to go. He tells him to go to Nineveh because he says their wickedness has come up before me. He calls Jonah, who is a prophet, to take an unpopular message to a hostile group of people. And he says, go to them and tell them to repent. And Jonah says, no, I'm not going to go. I'm going to go the opposite direction to the furthest end on the planet. And he runs down to Tarshish, thinking that he can escape from God. And the brother gets on a ship. He pays for his sin. Sometimes we do that. He pays for his sin. He gets on this ship. He goes down, down, down. The further he rebels and runs away from the Lord, the further he goes down. God tells Jonah to go. Jonah says no. Jonah, he runs, and eventually, I love how the Bible says, it's kind of funny, it says that the Lord hurled a storm towards the ship. <laughs> it's this picture of like, he just threw a storm at the ship. He won't play no games. He throws a storm, and eventually, the, I mean, the, the sailors like, man, what in the world is going on here? They begin to cast lots, and the lot revealed that Jonah was the man who brought sin on the boat. 
last week we discovered that there was this, uh, they asked him so many different questions. And eventually they're like, man, what do we need to do? And Jonah says, throw me overboard. Excuse me, overboard. He says, throw me overboard. And so they throw Jonah overboard. And he, you will discover, is swallowed by a great fish. Let's get to work. You ready? Now, now Jonah is inside of a great fish for three days and three nights. Pretty interesting. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever read something, by the way, in Scripture, let's just be honest, where you were just like, that just seems unbelievable. You ever read something in Scripture where you were just like, that just seems kind of ridiculous. Anybody besides me? Raise your hand, huh? Okay, a couple of stories. I actually called a friend that's here, part of our ministry, and uh, we were kind of talking back and forth about some ridiculous stories. And here's one of the things we came up with. Maybe they, they struck you as kind of, man, strange as well. There is literally a story in Scripture about 42 kids being mauled by a bear for calling Elisha a baldy. Literally like, baldy, baldy, baldy. You can look it up. You say, where did I find that at? 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 23 through 24. It is in the Bible. I know it's crazy. They're calling him baldy, and Elisha was like, oh, for real, though? Man, he cast a little spell on those, on those folks, and these bears tore them up for calling him a baldy. So there you go. If you like bald here, okay, or if you become bald, remember that story, all right? Here's another one that just seems just kind of crazy. You remember Lot? You remember Lot's wife specifically? And how, what happened to her? The, the lady, she turned into a pillar of salt. That's just crazy. She looked back at Sodom after she was very clearly told not to do it, and she was turned into a pillar of salt. You say, Jay, you're lying to me. I'm not lying. It's in the Bible. Genesis chapter 19, verse 26, okay, for your reference. How about this story? The story of the three Hebrew boys that would not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar. No, they would not. And so they were thrown into a furnace that was really, 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 really hot. And you would think, certainly, they burned up and died. No, no, no. In fact, the guys who had threw them in there said they saw a fourth man that was in there with them. That fourth man was God. And come to find out, these brothers, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, man, didn't even have a piece of hair scorched on their skin. It's just crazy. How about this story in, uh, oh, wait a minute. You're like, where's that at? Daniel 3, okay, in case you're wondering. Here's the, here's the next one. Jesus casting a, the demons into a pig. Oink, oink. Pretty crazy, right? In Mark chapter 5, there is, man, this guy who was out of his mind. He is a maniac. Jesus comes in on the scene, and he, he recognizes he's full of lesions, and he casts these demons out into the swine, into the pigs, and they ran over. Okay, into the water and were choked and died, never to be heard of again. Crazy stories. But you know another story I'll put up there? Some guy named Jonah been swallowed by a great fish. I mean, that's just wild. But then, maybe you heard about this. This is crazy. Put the picture up on the screen. I don't know if you heard of this. Do you know this guy? You know him? Have you recognize him? You're like, maybe some of you do, maybe some of you don't. You're going to get to know him real quickly, all right? Not because he's going to walk in the room, but he's just right there, all right? <laughs> this guy's name is Michael Packard. Michael Packard, check this out. Uh, what happened to Michael Packard? He entered the water for a second dive of the day at uh, a little before 8 a.m. on Friday, and veteran, uh, veteran lobster diver Michael Packard. His vessel... Was, the, was named J&J. &J. I kind of like that. 
He was, it was off of Herring Cove Beach and surrounded by a fleet of boats catching striped bass. The water temperature was balmy, 60 degrees, and the visibility was about 20 feet. Okay, 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 get to the point, right? Says this, in something truly biblical, Packard was swallowed whole by a humpback whale. You say, what was that? Last year. Pretty crazy. You thought 2020 was bad. All of a sudden, I felt this huge shove, and the next thing I knew, it was completely black. Packer recalled Friday afternoon following his release from the Cape Cod Hospital. I could sense I was moving, and I could sense the whale was squeezing the muscles in, my, in, his, in his mouth, he said. Pretty crazy. Initially, Packer thought he was inside a great white shark, but he couldn't feel any teeth, and he hadn't suffered any obvious wounds. It quickly dawned on him that he had been swallowed by a whale. I was completely inside, he said. It was completely black, Packer said. I thought to myself, there's no way I'm getting out of here. I'm done. I'm dead. All I could think of was my boys here, 12 and 15. Outfitted with the scuba gear, he struggled, and the whale began shaking his head so that Packer could tell he didn't like it. He estimated he was in the whale for 30 to 40 seconds before the whale finally surfaced. This is pretty crazy. Here's the last thing. I saw a light. Praise God. And he, started, and he started throwing his head side to side. And the next thing I knew was I was outside in the water. Give it up for Packard. Okay, yeah, there you go. It really wasn't Packard. Whether he knows the Lord or not, I don't know if he does, that was God. Pretty crazy stuff. Now, here we are in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. Here's what it says real quickly. Now the Lord had appointed, say appointed, a huge fish, not a well, to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights. Note, let's look at this passage really quickly. The word appointed is just, it's so key. Uh, some versions will actually use this word, uh, I think in the New Living Translation, it says arranged. God arranged, God appointed. Here's what you need to know. The word appointed is a word of assignment. Uh, this is when God does something for a particular reason. And this isn't the first time we've heard the word appointed here in the, the story of Jonah. The first thing that he appointed was what? Can you guess what it was? A storm. Now, the next thing that he uses is a huge fish. We see God appointing a huge fish. God will use whatever he has to to get us to confess, meaning it was when we say the same thing about our sin that God says about our sin, and repent. Confession and repentance should go hand in hand, okay? You confess your sin. You also may also need to, there ought to be a follow-up by some repentance where you say, okay, I'm going in the wrong direction. It is God showing you a better way. God does all of that to win us back to himself. God will use whatever he has to to win us back to himself one at a time. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be swallowed by any great fish. I don't want to be swallowed by anything, okay? Here's a couple of biblical principles here for us tonight. Here's the first one. The biblical principle number one is this. God disciplines his children. God disciplines his children. When we hear that word, we're like, oh, I don't want to hear about discipline. At least that's what Aria, our five-year-old, she says in our home. I don't want to know about discipline. We say the same thing, whether we say it out loud, verbally, or in our heart. I love the Bible, though, man, how it doesn't contradict itself. It complements itself. And if you write this reference down in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 and 7, and also verse 11, it says this in verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 12, for the Lord disciplines the one he, what? Loves. What? 
My mom used to tell me when she would, you know, give me a little spanking. She would tell me, I'm only doing this because I love you. I'm like, you're crazy, woman. I didn't tell her that. <laughs> but I was thinking that. Are you serious? Yet the Lord says, listen, he disciplines the one he loves, and he punishes every son he receives. Verse 7, enduring suffering as discipline, God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? Ladies, you're in there at will. Hebrews 12, verse 11, no discipline seems enjoyable at the time. If that is true, if you know that to be true, say, uh-huh, in the house, uh-huh. But painful, however, wait for it. Later, however, it yields the fruit of peace, righteousness to those who have been trained by it. If you are in a place even tonight where you're experiencing, okay, discipline in your life because of something that you have done, you know what I'll say to you tonight? Praise God. You say, what? Yes, praise God. It's evidence that you, man, are his. He, he loves you enough to not allow you to get away with your sin. Praise God. Praise God. He disciplines you and me not to pay us back, but to win us back one at a time. Let's jump into Jonah chapter 2 to see what happens next. What does Jonah do when there is nothing else to do? What does Jonah do? He's inside of this well. What does Jonah do when you, you can't get any lower then you already are in life. He does what we naturally do, okay? When we are at the very bottom, you know what we do? We look up. And this is what Jonah does. Jonah chapter 2 is known as Jonah's prayer. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, it says, from inside the fish. Jonah chapter 2 verse 2, I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help in the belly of Sheol. You heard my voice. Here's the next biblical principle I want you to hang on to tonight. Biblical principle number two, God answers the distress. Even if it is because of your choices that brought you to that place. The word distress here means affliction. There is some affliction that we can experience in our life that's nothing necessarily to do with us. God just allows us to come into our life. And then there's also self-affliction where we inflict affliction on our self. This is where Jonah is at. Jonah, remember, Jonah got himself in this mess. He is not here because he was living right. No, no, no. He rebelled against God, and now he is in a mess. His rebellion has led him to a low place, and it does the same thing in our life. When we run away from God, our rebellion leads us to a low place. Jonah's sin led him there. By the way, just in case you didn't know it, everyone in this room is a sinner. You say, I look too good tonight to be a sinner. You're a good-looking sinner. Everyone in this room is a sinner. But the difference between you and maybe the person that is sitting next to you is that some of us, our sins have been forgiven by Christ because we have surrendered our life over to Christ, and some of us, our sins have not been forgiven, but we're all still sinners. And if your sins aren't forgiven, it's not because God doesn't want to forgive your sins. He's just waiting for you to surrender your life over to him, man, so you can experience his forgiveness in your life. Put this into perspective. I love this, by the way. Some of the sweetest words here in this verse right here is he says, in my distress, he answered me. You see that? You see that in your Bible? 
You see it on your phone, your tablet, whatever you have? In my distress, he says, he answered me. Let's put this in perspective. Jonah is running from God. Jonah is being rebellious towards God. Jonah disobeys God. Jonah is facing consequences from God because of his sin. God answers Jonah out of his affliction in the midst of his consequences. What a merciful God. Praise the Lord. Now, we can think here in this room and tonight that God only answers us when we are doing good in life. News flash. You and I are not ever good enough for God to answer us. We are not. That is why Jesus came on our behalf, paid for our sins. He now, man, intercedes for us, stands before the Father. And because of Jesus, we have access to God. Anybody grateful for that? Say amen in the house. Come on, amen in the house. Now, listen, I saw some of y'all pictures, okay, at the Super Bowl, and y'all were pretty excited. I saw you, you're like, <gasps> God's word, it also also evoked a response. And this is some good news. God, man, he, he pursues us, and even when, he, even when there's consequences that come our way, he's still willing to answer us. Amen? Amen. God will hear you and I in, our, in, in your distress. There's an interesting word here that I never had learned before. Maybe you have. But I'm so excited. This is so cool. Man. I've seen it in a different perspective tonight. And if you haven't, you're going to learn this. But it's the word shield. Do you see that word there? The word shield is mentioned 65 times in the Old Testament. I discovered this week. 31 times it's used as the word hell. 31 times it's used as grave. Three times it's used as pit. Jonah, by the way, is not talking about hell here because there is no escaping hell. Scripture talks about both the unrighteous and the righteous experiencing Sheol. And depending on if it's talking about the righteous or the unrighteous, it's based in how this word is being used. Jonah is a prophet from God. We know that. You can go to chapter 4 of Jonah and see how he is using even this word. He is using this word from a righteous perspective, which means one of two things. He is saying either that God has heard him from the pit or God heard him from the grave. Now, I want you to see something. This is really interesting to me that I, I, I just learned, man, from this is how the ancient Hebrew mentality of this ancient world, world, word saw the word, excuse me, shield. Check out this picture here on the screen. Take a close look at that. This was the ancient Hebrew's conception of the universe at that time. Take a close look at that. The, the ancient Israelites divided the world into heaven, earth, sea, and the underworld. Pretty interesting. They, they viewed the sky as a vault resting on foundations, perhaps mountains with doors and windows that let in the rain, and God dwelt above the sky, hidden in cloud and majesty. The, the world was viewed, I discovered this, because I learned this, I'm not smart, I just learned this, so I'm just sharing it with you with what, I, what I learned. The world was viewed as a disc floating on the water, secured or moored by pillars, and the earth was the only known domain at that time. The realm beyond, it was considered unknowable. Now, check out the last part of this picture. The underworld, underworld excuse me, Sheol, was a watery or dusty prison from which no one returns. And this is where Jonah says he's at. Regarded as a physical place beneath the earth, it could be reached only through death. Remember that, okay? We'll come back to it. Jonah's like, this is where I am. This is Jonah's heart. This is Jonah's 
heart, he's saying, God, I am so low. I couldn't get any lower. You see that? That's pretty low. He said, I'm so low. I am broke, busted, and disgusted. This is my, my soul, man. It, it, just, it, is, it just feels man, like I'm just so close to hell, God. And he says, man, I've reached the bottom. Continue to read on in Jonah chapter 2, verse 3. He says this, you threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me, and all the breakers and the billows swept over me. But I said in verse 4, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. Jonah, in this very moment, is experiencing in verse 4, the ill fellowship. It's almost like rejection, it seems like from God. He says, I've been banished from your sight. Here's a verse, man, that uh, I thought about when I saw this. James chapter 4, verse 6. God gives grace to the humble, but opposes the proud. The only reason why Jonah is there at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom is because he rebelled. He was so prideful. He ran away, man, from God, and it led him to, led him to the bottom. God gives grace to the humble, but opposes the proud. You got any pride in your life? Say, man, nothing seems to be working out for me. Maybe it's because your life is still, it's all about you. It's all about pride. Jonah chapter 2, verse 5, the waters engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. Has anybody ever had seaweed wrapped around you before? Maybe not around your head, but around your leg, you know? It's so disgusting. <laughs> In verse 6, he says, I sank down to the foundations of, of the mountain. The earth with its prison bars closed behind me forever. But you, here we go, raised my life from the what? Pit. You raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. Here's principle number three. Biblical principle number three. God's grace can reach you in the lowest place. You may be here tonight. You say, man, I am in a very low place, Jay. You don't know me. One of the reasons why I came here tonight was, man, to give Jesus just one more shot. First of all, we are grateful that you are here. And it ought to encourage you tonight that his grace can reach you in the lowest place. You see that in verses 5 and 6. But first things first, Jonah's sin, man, took him to places he never expected. Example, inside of this great fish. I don't think he, he realized or even thought, man, that when I run from God, I'm going to end up inside of the belly of a fish. Sin, by the way, can take you farther than you want to go, make you stay way longer than you want to stay, and make you pay way more than you want to pay. You ever been there before? You ever been so stuck in your sin, and you woke up and you're like, how in the world did I get here? And sometimes even your bank account runs low because you, just like Jonah, you spent money on your sin. Jonah wasn't outside the reach of God's grace. But you raised my life up from the pit, verse 6, he says. Oh, Lord, my God. It reminds me, by the way, of Romans chapter 5, verse 20, where he says, where sin increased, grace increased, what? All the more. Where sin increased, grace, God's grace increased all the more. My brothers, my sisters, listen to me tonight. You are never outside of the reach of God's grace. Can somebody say amen in the house? 
You say, what about my porn problem? It is not outside of the reach of God's grace. All the more, your lying problem, your alcohol problem, your anger problem, your sleeping around problem, your self-righteous problem, your judgmental problem, man, your stealing problem, your gambling problem, your drug problem, your self-harm problem, your identity problems is not outside the reach of God's grace. Come on, somebody say amen in the house. God's grace is deeper still. What is Jonah doing? He's filling the belly of this well, but he's praising God. Even though his situation has a turned around, he's still praising God. That's a word. Some of you, your situation has a turned around, and you're not quite sure how it's going to turn around. But maybe your response, it needs to be praise. Jonah said, I took my eyes off the holy temple. This is where the presence of God resided at the time. And Jonah is like, this is where my problem began in the first place. When I took my eyes off of you, I ended up here in Sheol, in a man, very low place. The same thing happens to us, by the way, when we take our eyes off of God. We end up in some strange places. Jonah chapter 2, verse 7. Jonah says, as my life was fading away, he said, I remember. Oh, I remember Yahweh. My prayer came to you, to your holy temple. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can struggle with my, my memory. Somebody was asking me the other day, I think it may have been Alita. You're like, you, I was asking about how young can you get Alzheimer's? I wasn't asking that for myself. It's like, do you have Alzheimer's? I was like, no, I think I have some timers. <laughs> he, Jonah says, my life was fading away. I remember God. And if your life tonight is, is fading away, I want to encourage you man, to remember Yahweh, to remember God. Do you feel far from God in this season? Do you, do you feel far from him because of your sin? Here are some truths that may encourage your soul tonight. You ready for this? Psalm 103, verse 8 through 12, it says this, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he, will he harbor his anger forever. Praise God. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Praise God. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Somebody say praise God. Oh, that's good news. Do you want some more good news? Here's some more good news. They feel weary soul for the person in this room that feels like, man, I feel so far away from God. Isaiah 40, verse 28 to 31, he says, this, Do you not know? Have you not heard of the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. As young men, they stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, he will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Can I give you one more verse here? Because some of us, we are just, man, we're so saturated, man, with culture, with the lies, with the enemy. And what we need is, we need the word. We need God's word to give us some perspective, man, on who God is and who we are. And, and to fill those places that don't have, that are, that are hopeless, to fill those places with hope. Romans 8, verse 38 to 39, he says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate, separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Somebody shout amen in the house. 
goes on in verse 8 and 9, and he says, those who cling to worthless idols, we do the same thing. Things we feel like we just cannot do without. They may even be good things, but we have placed them in the wrong place before God. Those who cling to worthless idols forsake, forsake faithful love. Verse 9, but as for me, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation is from the Lord. Salvation is from the Lord. That brings us to the next principle here tonight. Biblical principle four. God saves. Yes, here in the year of this new year, 2022, even with the craziness on the planet, yes, here at the University of South Florida, can I tell you what? God saves. He is still in the business of saving. He is still in the business of changing lives. And we have seen God, even here within our ministry, man, transform lives from the inside out. And I would dare to say, he's not finished yet. He saves. He saves. You say, why do we need a Savior? We need a Savior because of our sin. And our sin separates us from God. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus is the standard, and we blow it again and again. We fall short of his standards again and again. And our attitude and our actions and our thoughts, what we deserve is a big punishment. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God saves. God saves. Jesus paid a big payment for us that you and I could never pay. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, while we were okay, man, Hanging out in our rebellion, doing our own thing, running away from God. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you and for me. He went to the cross. He, he bled many streams of blood. He was hardly recognizable by those who knew him. He was placed in a tomb. Three days later, he resurrected from the grave. God saves. Somebody say, God saves. Oh, God saves. God saves. He says, I'm far from God. I feel like I'm in Sheol. God saves. God saves. He said, I'm a wicked, wretched individual. God, he saves. But you have to make the decision, a very big decision. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. No if, and, or but about it. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to Salvation, Jonah says, is from the Lord. So as we end here tonight, surely God is finished with Jonah, right? I mean, the brother has prevailed. He's run far from God. He's at the bottom of Sheol. Certainly, he's done with Jonah. Here is how the chapter ends. In Jonah chapter 2, verse 10, he says, Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah into the water. of Sheol back up on the sky. He was at the very bottom of the bottom of the abyss. There was not supposed to be any return but God. He was supposed to die there in Sheol inside of that great fish. But God, say but God. And it's very possible that some of you who are here even tonight, man, if we knew your story, you probably would say the same thing. Man, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be sitting here and hearing God's word, but God. Here's the last principle for us tonight. God is more willing to pardon than to punish. 
He is forgoing to pardon you of your sins. He forgives 